Zainab Khan, your host, and I welcome you all to the podcast, the show where we dive deep into the fascinating world of creativity and the remarkable stories behind some of the industry's most talented individuals. Yeah, that's right. I'm Imran, your co-host, and we've got an amazing show lined up today featuring a very special guest. We are thrilled to have joining us the incredibly talented Grammy Award-winning composer, producer, and multi-instrumentalist, Kit Wakely. Hi. Hey, welcome to the show, Kit. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much for taking your time out. Absolutely. Kit has been making waves with his unique blend of orchestral, rock, and electronic music. With his recent album, Symphony of Sinners and Saints, recorded at the Abbey Road Studios in London, receiving critical acclaim, including being at number one on Billboard's classical crossover and classical charts, and at number 18 on Hot Hard Rock songs. His singles, Conflicted, Forgive Me, and Sinner and Saints, all peaked at number one on Billboard's Hard Rock Digital Song Sales, as well as charting in the top 10 Hot Hard Rock Songs chart. Kid has also worked with some fantastic musicians and renowned orchestras, and his orchestral album, An Adoption Story, featuring star parody, London Symphony, Joe Satriani, and Walter Killer Man, recently won a Grammy for Best Classical Compendium. With so much on the plate, we can't wait to hear more about ex- his experiences and musical journey. Wow, we've got a ton of questions lined up for Crit Wakely, so let's start. First of all, congratulations on your winning the 2023 Grammy Awards. We are so happy to know that and we're like, that was phenomenal. How does it feel to receive such a prestigious award? Ah, that's a good question. I think, uh, you know, as I tell a lot of people, uh, when you get the affirmation for all this hard work that you put in from your peers and, and different, you know, people within the organization, you know, you work so hard. And to know that people appreciate it that much and are willing to hand you one of the most holy grail of trophies there are, um, it's overwhelming. But I embrace, embrace every bit of it. Very nice. Your album, Symphony of Sinners and Saints, has been described as a cinematic experience. Can you talk about the inspiration behind the album and the creative process of bringing it to life? Yeah, I mean, um, as far as the inspiration, I've always, you know, geeked out over awesome film scores. I always love great rock music. And so my my inspiration, if you will, is to take two powerful, you know, genres of music and, and gel them. Um, and I, I, you know, I geek out of the fact that I'm able to enjoy both in one recording. That's very nice. You've collaborated with a number of talented musicians on your album, including Joe Satriani and Nathan East. How did those collaborations come about and what was it like working with them? Yeah. So during COVID, a lot of us didn't have a lot to do. A lot of yeah. us to work. Um, yeah. and a lot of us were looking you know, forward to collaborating. So I emailed uh, Joe and his people and just told them I had a great project that I thought he should consider. And right. I got the word yes. Um, and that's how it started. Very nice. Your music has been described as a fusion of classical rock and electronic genres. How do you approach blending these different styles together in your compositions? Knowing that, you know, uh, 
such a significant part of the project is going to be orchestral. Um, you don't want to bury that. You don't want to lose sight of that. So I always start with the orchestral elements first. I, I come up with a score and, and really hone in on that. I do things like take that, that demo, if you will, to the gym. And if it gets my juices flowing, then I know I'm on the right path. Um, you know, and other times, does the music, do the demos make me think? Does, does it inspire me at all, you know, in a somber way? And does it allow me to reflect? And if I've done that, then I start on the rock elements. I, I, I want to add drums first just to, to accentuate the vibe, you know, the feel. Next is bass, which is, you know, between that, you know, now you're accentuating, you're, you're accentuating the orchestra and everything and the power of what it's done. And then you fit that groove in there from the rhythm guitars. And finally, it's the lead guitars. You you write the melodies as you see fit. Um, you you point out the highs and lows of the modality and scales it's based on. And eventually it all comes together. Very nice. That's a very intellectual creative process. No, thank you. You're welcome. You also work on music for film and television. How does your approach to composing for visual media differ from your approach to creating standalone music? I think it. I think it depends on the project. Um, you know, a lot of times uh, you you sit down with the producer or the director and they tell you their vision. A lot of times you hear their temp tracks of what their vibes are. But if it's you know if they're wanting a theme for the movie or television or whatever it might be, I get to do I get to do what I always do. I get to orchestrate it and I I can come up with these melodies and and really put my thumbprint on it. But If it's for, you know, the dialogue and things of that nature, mm-hmm. I, the music's not about me now. It's about the characters. And it's just me setting a tone for those characters. Um, so I'm always trying to make sure I know my role. And then, of course, I want to know the characters themselves. So a lot of times... A lot of times I sit down with the screenwriter and want to know more about the characters. As I've said, um, John Williams was a genius at trying to find out everything he could about a character and writing a theme specifically for that character. I always talk about Star Wars. Star, I mean, Darth Vader had his his yeah. theme, and Leah had her theme, and I could go on and on. Superman. I mean, we know when Superman walks through the door. Um, yeah, exactly. So, um, you know. Those are some of my approaches. Every project is, you know, very different. Recently, you won the 2023 Grammy Award. What was the reaction when you found out that you were the winner and your name was called out? I tell everyone <laughs> it's pretty much the same. I didn't think I had a chance. I wasn't supposed to win according to history, so to speak. I uh, right. No one had ever won in my category. Um without a label. So I didn't really anticipate hearing my name called. I was just proud of the fact that I was part of that fraternal order of people who uh, got a nomination. But when they called my name, obviously there's that huge shock. And yeah, definitely. Very, a very numbing feeling. And, um, you know, I don't remember a lot. Uh, once my foot hit that first stage, that, you know, step of going on the stage, <laughs> Yeah. After that, um, I have to watch video to remember what it was like. 
Right. Like, were you nervous delivering the speech, or like, what was it? <laughs> or were, were you were you surprised, or what? It's oddly enough, I wasn't nervous giving the speech. What had happened it was I was told to be sure and write one because you have one minute, and that was a lot more difficult than you think. It was exactly, extremely yeah. difficult, and so I had it ready. But then at the last minute, my producer, Star Parodi, who's worked on every big movie you can imagine, she was like, no, you have to mention, you can't just say, I'd like to thank the team. You need to mention everyone. Yeah. So throughout the Grammy program, I'm reading these names out loud, trying to get the syllables in a rhythm. So, wow, I win. We go up to the stage. I pull out my phone to refer to my notes, and my phone had went from notes to messenger. So, <laughs> wow. We're just going to, we're going to, you know, ad lib this. And <laughs> I was told by so many people, especially once I got backstage uh, from a few right. Grammy officials, they said, if you were going to check a box of everything you're supposed to say in a speech. Right. So whatever right. I said, I didn't know about it until I got to watch a video about a week and a half later. Oh, okay. Very nice. Grammys is one of the prestigious awards in the world. How has winning a Grammy impacted your career and your approach to making music? Yeah, like the pre, pre-Grammy pre winning and the post-Grammy winning, how it has affected your career? You know, when, when I was blessed to get those number ones, my phone started ringing a whole lot more. Um, wow. I, I was busy then. But once the nomination hit, then I got busier. Right. And, once I won, my phone was, it's been nonstop messages, offers, things of this nature. I can't keep right. it at all. So before I would tell people, yes, let's do something together. Yes, let's this, let's that. And I would overcommit, but still get things done. Now, uh, the biggest difference is I have to learn the word no. And I finally turned it over to a team in LA. Everything gets ran through them. And they oh. have a lot of word. Uh, so I'm blessed that there's a lot more opportunities. Um, mm-hmm. People want me to work on their projects. I just hate telling people no. So Right. Very nice. Okay. Uh, you have been an inspiration for so many musicians around the world, myself included. I'm really inspired by what you do. So what advice would you give to aspiring musicians who have just like, who are looking to make a career in the music industry right now? You know, you're going to have a lot of ups and downs. You're going to hear the word no a lot. You're going to, you know, make mistakes. You're going to do some really good things and really bad. And so what I tell people all the time is you're either learning or you're finding success, but you're never failing. If right. you can learn from those so-called mistakes, they're not mistakes. They're just lessons in life. And then the right. same thing I always tell people is, believe it or not, you can be a decent musician. If you're on time, you will get more work than the phenomenal physician, or excuse me, musician. And right. if you are on time and kind, you're not a jerk. You don't have an ego. You can just, then you're really going to be busy. Uh, and so I would just say, you're always learning. Be nice and be on time, and you will be very successful in your own right. Well said. Thank you for such great advices. Sure. What can fans expect from your live performances, and do you have any upcoming tour dates or shows planned? Uh, so, 
As far as uh, live performances, we thought we were coming out with a tour schedule um, back in July, but once an adoption story, that album started kind of getting some Grammy rumblings. We thought, uh oh, right. keep them cross, you know, cross branding. We thought, well, let's let's hold off a little bit on the rock album and let's figure out what's going to happen. And so, through time, we just kept shelving the project and plans to tour. Right now, uh, between now and May, uh, you know, part of May, um, there's a team of people that go through and prepare the budget. Uh, they look at which demographics where I'm selling the most, streaming the most, where I get the most attention mm. as far as right. social media. And that's where we'll play. Uh, obviously, places like Carnegie Hall, uh, the Hollywood Bowl, right. down here in Oklahoma City, but uh, the bigger cities, Nashville, Austin, et cetera. Right. So, and then what can you expect in the show? I just tell people lots of lights, lots of um, uh, effects, you know, anything to accentuate the music. And then right. uh, dialogue, me t- touching people personally, having a conversation, telling them about the music so that they know me and have insight to the music. Is, is there any dream venue you're yet to play? Like any venue you dream of playing? Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I mean, Madison Square Garden. <laughs> well, who doesn't want? Royal <laughs> Hall in, in, in London is uh, an iconic place. And so, um, you know, I, I'm just so appreciative whether 50 people show up or four or 5,000 show up. So exactly, yeah, I'll embrace every chance someone's going to come listen to me. Yeah, like to me, uh, I played the biggest place for me was uh, in London and Royal Albert Hall before 5,000 people. So that is, I can understand the feeling was phenomenal. Sure. Yeah, it's a phenomenal. Uh, and I misspoke. I said Royce Hall. Royce Hall is in uh, uh, L.A. But yes, mm-hmm. that, that was the venue I was just speaking at. So congratulations that you get to embrace that opportunity. In <laughs> thank, thank you. Thank you so much. What's next for you in terms of new music or projects? Can you give us a sneak peek into what you're working on? Yeah, so I just got through wrapping up uh, two significant projects, bigger budget projects, um, producing those. Um, I think that they have a significant chance for a lot of success, all the way up to a nomination, potentially uh, Grammy. Mm-hmm. I have two more in 2024 um, that I'll be in London on for both uh, to record and uh, produce. And then, um, you know, I've got to compose. I got to stay on track for what I do. And then I've got an album coming out tomorrow. Uh, wow. I've got to focus on really, really quickly. Um, but I think that's the probably as far as music goes, that's what's going to keep me busy for a couple of years. Very nice. You mentioned that you draw inspiration from a variety of sources, including literature and film. Can you talk about some specific works that you have influenced your music that really have an influence? Okay, so I apologize. Uh, what type of influences would you like to hear about? Like it can be uh, uh, real life influences through literature, through anything. What, ha- what inspires your music, basically? You know, sometimes music is just inspired by uh, something you heard that day, uh, a beat, um, you know, a chord progression that's used in a certain way. And then other times you're going through particular moments where you're just feeling the music. Um, Yeah. In fact, this last album 
was a collection of music uh, pieces that were based on my reflection on my life journey as someone who was uh, in the foster care system, someone that was, you know, faced abuse, someone who was blessed to be adopted, someone who was blessed with, you know, music and all the things that come with it, a beautiful wife and family and, and home. And, um, and then, you know, part of that journey was the fact that I had been separated from my sister. Um, so there was a song about me being separated from my sister, but as adults, we were reunited. We, we, we didn't know this, but for 15 years, we were living within a mile of one another. Wow. So all that inspires music. And then not too long after that, my wife and I um, had a chance to adopt. We thought we were going to adopt one. But, right. Um, the DHS called us and said, by any chance, would you be willing to adopt three? And we jumped on the chance because we didn't want to, we didn't want to um, see that happen again. We didn't want to see siblings split up and try to find each other 20 years later, 30 years later. Uh, exactly. So, yeah, that, uh, all those things can inspire great music. Wow. Very nice. So the inspiration comes from life from real life experiences anywhere you can. Yes. Yeah. Very, very nice. Very nice. Okay. One important question is that I read in your biography that you're a self-taught musician. So working with the orchestra, like uh, they are, uh, they know how to read music. Was it a challenging uh, project for you to work on being yeah. a self-taught musician? Yeah, it was a challenge. I think that, um, much like we try to master our instruments, we make, you know, we, we learn to get better. And get better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And right. that's what we had to do with scoring. You know, we're blessed with good technology these days. It kind of does some of it for you. I encourage people not to make the mistake that I did and take those scores with you. Um, the Very nice. really don't appreciate that. But over time, I learned what not to do. Um, I'm, I'm always afraid of making mistakes. So I study, 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 study of, okay, here's how you do it right. And, right. you know, over time, you just get better at it. Right. Very nice. Your music has been described as having a spiritual quality. Can you talk about the role that spirituality plays in your creative process? Sure. You know, we talked about what inspires us to write music at times. And a lot of times you're reflecting on maybe your life or the circumstance. And no matter what faith you might be part of, you have to reflect on why and how it all happened, how it came together. And, you know, for me, um, God put me in this situation. It wasn't by accident. It's not, you know, although we had the free will to choose and work hard or not, God's still part of that equation and you have to take that into consideration, you know? Uh, so I always believe in that. And I feel like God asks you for two things besides faith in him and how you treat others. You know, God wants you to live your life with vision and purpose. And um, absolutely everything I do, as long as vision and purpose are intersecting, I know that I'm, I'm doing the right thing. Very good. Very well said. That's why the prayers are being said it's divine intervention. Yeah. Very well said. Yeah. Okay. Your rendition of Stairway to Heaven, Led Zeppelin's featuring Orienti on guitar is a masterpiece. 
I myself being a guitar player, I was blown away by the song and the, especially the guitar parts when Orianti did. It was amazing, totally phenomenal. So did you like, did you have something in mind or did you work with Orianti uh, or on a certain way the solo should be played or you let her do the improvis improvisation? Yeah, we, like, yeah, we worked together on it. Uh, first and foremost, I wanted her to do it uh, more specifically on that song. I always wanted to work with her, but I wanted her on that song because she had been uh, working on a contemporary blues album. So I knew her oh. songs were kind of geared a certain way at that time. Yeah. No one yeah. took advantage of that. So that's the reason I brought her. Uh, we wanted her on the project. And then it took a little getting used to, but yes, um, she said, look, you're the producer, you're the writer, you're the arranger. You need to tell me what you want. And so yeah, I mean, she allowed me to, to mold those solos and to do the things that, that came out of that project. Awesome. Very nice. It, 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 it is truly a masterpiece. Thank you. I, 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 I'm going to humble those words, so thank you. <laughs> You've been on the cover of a fitness magazine. How do you stay motivated and inspired throughout your career, both in music and other aspects of your life? Well, I mean, people are, whether you like it or not, people are watching you all the time. So um, you want to set the example. Um, I, I stay in shape because it's what you need to do to live a long, healthy life. Um, I, I work I work out every day. Um, sometimes on the road, it's not that easy. And so I miss days. Um, my diet is pretty strict, 40 about 40 weeks a year. The other 12, right. you, know, you got to live life. And so some of it, I'll be honest with you, is a little shallow. Um, when I see a picture and I'm fit, I want to make sure for the next pictures, the next show, yeah. I'm fit. And there's been a couple of times. Right. Oh, <laughs> right. Show this, you know, the Austin show this, this week. Yeah. Right. I'm going to post that. And then everything else you do, People are watching whether you like it or not. Um, so you have to set the example or at least um, be doing the right thing, whether it's practicing hard or working hard at everything you do, because we're all a little narcissistic. And yeah. when we say otherwise, we're lying. <laughs> exactly. I want affirmation and, and, and approval from others. So I have a myriad of things that motivate me to do music, staying in shape, being a good family man, whatever that might be. You, you have truly set an example, you know, back in the days it was party all night <laughs> and rock and roll all day. <laughs> so that, that is really inspiring. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. Uh, what role has technology played in your music and how do you see it? Like, uh, does it affect the creative process? Is it like, uh, an advantage, a technology, you think, or a disadvantage? How do you take that whole thing? I think, I think technology is a huge advantage. Uh, technology can help you during your, you know, just putting on a performance, you know, live shows. Technology can be, uh, I don't know how many times I will use a placeholder. Uh, I'll use a loop for a particular drum beat as a placeholder, kind of get a vibe. And mm -hmm. helps me understand, oh, that's how those beats happen. And so when I recreate it, never, never ends up being the same. But the right. technology kind of gave me that path. Um, 
I think that technology allows us to learn how to score music. Technology exactly. allows us to play instruments maybe that we're not very good at. And then, you know, technology is what led me to be able to start learning how to orchestrate music and, you know, just about everything in technology has held my hand along the way. Right. Okay, there's a circle. For example, if you go back, it was disco in the 70s and then comes uh, rock and roll and then pop and then uh, other genres of music. Like, what comes next? What is at the present? What do you see is coming uh, back in the trend? You know, oddly enough, based on dialogue with myself, I'm a governing member of the academy. So we have a lot right. of conversations that people don't know about and about, you know, um, different categories and things. And I really think that the biggest thing is the the morphing of more than one genre. You're going to see more right. You're going to see more hip hop with the orchestra. You're going to see more hip hop with rock. I mean, we're already we've already been seeing these morphing, you know, morph morphing whatever uh, processes. I mean, I think it's you know, you, you watch how hip hop turned into rap. You watched, you know, okay. all the way back to how hymns became gospel. Gospel became, you know, contemporary Christian. It's always going right. to be. And I do think you're going to see more morphing. Um, global music, you're going to hear more Afro beats. Uh, you know, I can go on and on about all the uh, different the different genres that are starting to work with one another, huge artists from different genres working together. Wow, exactly. Like I collaborated with lots of musicians around the world. So that is really, you, every time you collaborate with someone, you learn a new thing from that artist, from the musician, from the genre. Yeah. I try to like uh, uh, give my input. Like I, I know a little bit of Eastern classical music, which I try to incorporate in, in my music. Yeah. So, well said. That's that's very nice. Can you mention other artists that have inspired your music? There's there's not a if you're a pinnacle of what you do, you probably inspired me. And it doesn't matter what genre. Um, you know, I I never dreamed that I would go back and listen to every detail of a score of John Williams. I mean, that's just not what you think is cool. Wow. But now yeah. I, I, I geek out over that. I. I listen to some of the finest guitar players you'll ever know, finest drummers and, you know, from whatever genre, I just, there's so many influences and I think you have to appreciate the art, whether you like that genre or not. I've talked about before, even like in, in some people don't give credit to certain genres. Uh, Absolutely. You know, yeah. Like, oh, it's three chords. I'm like, well, you better go back and listen to those chords Kirk, Kirk Cobain was playing. It wasn't what you think. The Beatles weren't just cranking out a few simple chords. They purposely tried to throw you off. Exactly. I've even talked about rappers before. I yeah. love Eminem. I may not like all the music, but I appreciate the fact that he is so talented and how he approaches his art is very purposeful and not many people can do it like he does. Wow. That gives me another question. Is there any genre which is overrated or underrated? Or what do you think about, of that? I, I think it depends on the artist. Uh, you know, as far as overrated, um, obviously there's been 
you know, artists who somehow, you know, had a big hit and you listen to the music <laughs> and you're like, eh, that can, yeah. that can uh, overrate something very quickly, especially if all they're doing is copying someone else that really. Exactly. Really yeah. And as far as underrated, I mean, again, uh, I've talked about one of the most underrated, um, two of the most underrated actually genres, a lot of times just pop. Mm-hmm. When I was asked to recreate things like Justin Bieber songs or something like that, and I'm thinking, oh, that right. makes simple. Well, <laughs> right. Those producers or artists, they, they have a canvas that they paint on that you don't appreciate till you're having to recreate it. And uh, I've talked about local music. Um, they make it sound so simple. When you open those Pro Tools tracks and you see right, yeah, into it, to make it sound simple, um, you know, I think that's that kind of music's very underrated. Right. Uh, there are a lot of musicians or wannabe musicians who take like the music, the loop music from different places, and they just connect them, and then they become all of a sudden they become a Facebook hero. Mm-hmm. So. What what advice would you give to a musician who uh, who's like really wants to get a break in the music scene and uh, who really wants to become a, a you know a musician a professional musician in the future? So, you know, is there any like a shortcut for them, or they have to work their way up? There are no shortcuts. <laughs> right. What I love to see is people who drop the. You know, they put together a quick project using loops, and then they spend six months trying to produce. You know, trying to promote it. Not so sure. I think you got the cart before the horse there. Obviously, loops have value in the industry. We we've, we've learned that that's part of the industry now. That's what what we hear. Um, I've heard projects that use loops. Too much, um, right? A really well-known gentleman that wanted me to vote for his project in the Grammys, and I listened to it. I thought it's all loops. There was no creativity. So what I would say is, even with loops, you've got to have some kind of creativity in your own thumbprint and your own efforts. And um, I, I just think that you have to genuinely. There's no shortcuts. There's just exactly embrace art embrace music and work hard. Uh, it's shortcuts are going to get you nowhere, especially again, let's get back to loops. All that's going to happen is, uh, someone's going to ask for stems. Yeah. Yes. I want to give my music to this licensing company. This is going to be awesome. Oh, wait a minute. Exactly. Stems, you need this. Oh, you're out of luck real quick. Very true. Very true. Okay. Uh, speaking of technology and backing tracks, there are a lot of musicians who are using backing tracks to support their live performances. So do you do the same or like, uh, is there a certain backing tracks you use in your live uh, music? Yeah. I mean, I do use backing tracks because I can't have five, six, seven, eight keyboardists on stage. Yeah. Right. Sometimes venues aren't going to allow me to have, you know, 60, 80 piece orchestra. Um, and sometimes it's not affordable to have all those people on stage. So yes, exactly. I use backing tracks is mm-hmm. a situation for the music. I think those who cross the line are those who are not singing, those who are not playing. Basically the tracks are doing all the work and they're not 
They're exactly. Not what they, it, they're not performing what they said they wrote and, and worked on. Uh, that's where there's a line in there. There's a threshold that uh, you can cross, and it becomes a sin more than it is anything else. Right, very nice. You have come so far as a musician. If there's any one advice you would like to give to your young self, what would it be? Oh, wow. You know, it's so cliche, you don't give up no matter what someone tells you. <laughs> right. I give up. You network. We talked about being just be nice, be on time. I, I think ultimately the words would be do the right thing. Work hard at your music. Be on time. Be nice. Be you know. Network with one another. You know, there's so many simple things in life that I think if you just would use those as part of your arsenal, if you know for how to succeed, you're going to succeed. Right. Okay. Which is your personal favorite decade of music for like for me 80s was the best like I, i'm a huge fan of michael jackson and all the pop and the rock so what what is your personal favorite decade i my my personal favorite decade was the 80s because i think that um you know that's when producers really started to understand technology and what they could do we musicians were still playing live, you know, there weren't very yeah. click tracks, you know, guitarists were doing things that no guitarists do today. Um, right. Producers were coming up with things that, I mean, Quincy Jones was a genius. Oh my God. He was, he was a genius. And there's no still doubt. geniuses today. Max Martin today will put out a hit, hit after hit after hit. Exactly. But, and he still makes works of art, but as far as a decade, when you think of everything that comes out of it, I mean, my kids take lessons and I go to pick them up. And when I get there, they're learning everything from, you know, Ozzy and Motley Crue. And, you know, they're yeah. learning songs from then. They're, exactly. Uh, and even now, I think uh, The weekend, uh, Bruno Mars, They've gone back to that genre and went, well, you know, they use some really cool chord progressions, those analog sounds. So we find ourselves today emulating what happened in the 80s. Exactly. Uh, yeah. A revolution in music at that time. Just like I was inspired by Michael Jackson's We Are The World song and I did the Peace song. Yes. And I was... And I was so honored to have you in the video, and I'm so thankful that you delivered a message in the video. It was it was really awesome. It thank you so much. Be able to support that kind of purpose as well. So thank you. Thank you so much. I, I just want to you know prevail peace through music. That's very important for me. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. How do you balance your personal life and your career in music? You know, I think the biggest thing is to know what's important. Um, remember, we talked about vision and purpose. Music is a vision, but your purpose, a lot of times purpose is more of a legacy. So it's my responsibility to make sure my kids, I've I've parented the way I should so that there's an impact for the rest of their life, i.e. a legacy. And so things like playing catch with your kids, things mm -hmm. like no no cell phone or taking phone calls from yeah clock to 7 30 or so just making sure that you know look you're not going to be there when i'm old exactly. enough to bed. right know, so my music is not going to be there but i sure hope my kids and my family and those i love 
are there. So that's your priority. Um, and I think that that's what keeps you balanced. And that's what motivates you when your daughter wants to just play with Barbies or, you know, they want to watch a movie or want, want you to go watch their ball games. Um, that's, you got to remember what's important. Right. Is it your wish that your children, your kids should be in the music or are you going to let them decide what they want to be? They, they need to decide what they want to be. I, I think that it's important for them to learn music, to be exposed to it. You know, it, it, it triggers certain things in how the brain functions. It exactly. Gives, it's a therapeutic thing. I can go on and on about the value of music, but they also love sports. They're all phenomenal athletes. And wow. so I want them to be happy. As long as, whether it's music or sports, people don't confuse my parenting of, no, you're going to practice. You're going right. to work hard. It has nothing to do with music. It has nothing to do with sports. It's a discipline. And then use that discipline for something that will make you happy. Very good. Very good. What are your favorite ways to recharge and unwind when you're not working on your music projects? I think the number one thing is is going to the gym. That's my hour or so of me time. You know, there's nothing else, in, you know, at five minutes into it, all I'm thinking about is working out. My mind is, I've hit, I've been able to hit pause for that period of time. And right. it's probably the biggest salvation I have outside of working. Right. One very important question. Your albums are instrumental based. So have you ever thought of having a vocalist and lyrics in your music in the future? Um, you know, I'm, I produce a lot of different genres, country, rock, pop, et cetera. So there's a lot of, of interaction with working with lyrics and things. So I'm able to, to experience that part of music, which I love my, you know, a lot. So that kind of gives me my fix. Now I will say that, um, there's some really, really uh, talented rappers, uh, talented uh, uh, electronic, uh, you know, artists who who have taken my songs and and done something with them. I have some people who say, "Hey, can I just do a top line and sing?" So, whether I don't think I'll ever purposely write anything over my own music that I put out for me, but I have several outlets that give me that ability. But you know, uh, Steve Y, like he did in his album, Sex and Religion, there were instrumentals as, as well as those singers. So what, have you thought of trying someone new to have you sing your songs or anything like that? It may happen, but it's going to have to happen organically. I'm going to have to be, I don't think I'll ever do it purposely. I think it's oh, okay. a thing when I'm in the studio, I'm like, you know, I'll tell you what would sound really cool right now. And you, you flirt with it and you give it, you, uh, you, if it, if it happens and it's natural and it sounds good, then let's keep it. It doesn't have to be totally instrumental. Very nice. How do you hope listeners will feel or what message do you hope they take away when they listen to your music? Did I touch any of your emotional senses? You know, if, if you listen to uh, a song like an adoption story, if you'll just close your eyes, regardless of what my value came from it, if you'll just close your eyes you think about your journey in life, the ups and downs. Right. I have failed if you're not emotional and maybe almost in tears when you take Very that. Very true. If you take a song like MVP, which is 
orchestral rock and you're not ready to go to the gym and just take over. Exactly. Exactly. All about appealing to the senses. Just like uh, Steve Wise, uh, For the Love of God, that instrumental is something which gives me goosebumps. Like it it came 30 years ago and still it's so relevant and so much closer to me. Yeah. So that that is that is amazing right there's a reason he's steve i i mean there's a reason <laughs> that name with reverence yeah exactly exactly yeah right okay um in the end anything would you would like to say the last word of kit wakely anything with it has to do with the music or anything you want to say yeah I always in situations like this this is just where you say thank you I'm blessed that I've made so many friends on social media. People didn't have to friend me. They don't have to interact with me, but they do. People don't have to, to buy the albums. People don't have to come see my shows. People don't have to support me for a Grammy. People don't have to even acknowledge me when I go to various industry events and award shows. And they do. And they're so kind and they're so genuine. And they make me feel welcome. And I don't know if it's all, if I deserve it all, but I'm at least going to say thank you for for that opportunity and, and what's given to me. You know, the kind of achievements you have, people like myself and most of the musicians, they can only dream of. And even then you are so humble, so nice, so kind. That is like, uh, that's the, I've never seen anyone like that in my life. Thank you so much. Thank you. No, thank you. I appreciate those words. That tells me I might be doing something right. <laughs> definitely you are and you're the best musician and the greatest dad and the greatest husband and the best human I've ever met I'll, thank you so. I'll embrace it <laughs> thank you uh, that's that's the reason why I call you a legend you are a legend you are a living legend thank not. you so much <laughs> thank you so much and that's a wrap a massive thank you to Kit Wakely for joining us today and giving us such a fantastic insight into his creative process, his experience, his personal life, the journey as an artist, as a person, as a human. It was truly an inspiring conversation. You can listen to Kit's music on all major platforms, including YouTube, Spotify, YouTube Music, Apple Music, and iHeart. You can also find him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as on his website, www.kitwakely.com. And a big thank you to all our listeners for tuning in. Don't forget to rate, review, follow, or subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. And if you have any questions or comments or suggestions for future episodes, feel free to reach out to us. We'll be back with even more industry inside stories from other incredible guests. So stay tuned. Until then, I'm Imran Ahmed. And I'm Zainab Khan. We are signing off. Thanks for listening.